So let's pretend that a painter gave me a painting, and let's not, not just any painter, let's say it was Michelangelo. Now, that would be pretty amazing, number one. I mean, just a master painter, Michelangelo, I, I know you've heard of his name. So if he gave me a painting, a master painter, and let's say it was this. Now listen, I am no painter. I'm just a painter wannabe. That's all I will ever be is just a wannabe. But if Michelangelo gave me this painting, I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, this is an amazing, amazing painting. And I, I mean, while I'm not a master painter, I do believe, I do believe that I might be able to add some things here. I mean, I'm no Michelangelo, I, that is for sure. Uh, no Michelangelo, but I really feel like that I can make a difference here. Oh, yeah, that's looking good. I'm liking what I'm seeing. I hope you can see it. Here we go. I'm a master at this part, though. Pretty good here. I mean, if I do say so myself, and since I have a microphone, <laughs> I get to say so. There we go. Look at that. Can you recognize it? Yeah, I, I'm not done, though. There's more coming. So let's thank you, Michelangelo. I appreciate this painting. I value this painting. And in fact, I would say... Even, it's very meaningful to me, um, but I do want to, I do kind of want to add a few things here. So, very good. I think that's, all, that's about all the paint I have, so I'm just going to say that that is enough. I do want to maybe give some legs here. There, nice, good. Thank you, Michelangelo. Now... Granted, he's, he's a master painter, and I'm, I'm not. Um, so I think if I were to be honest with myself, and I hope that I will, I'm going to have to admit that um, I, I didn't improve that. <laughs> I didn't, I, I did not make that better. Um, I mean, it really pretty much, I mean, from the state of, of, of art, I mean, it was pretty much perfect the way it was, and I did not fix it. I, I didn't make it better. I, I can't improve. If that was a gift to me, I did not improve upon that gift. I did not make it better. You really, I mean, I could try to dress it up, and I could try to accessorize it. I could try to make it better, but I cannot make a Michelangelo painting better. Now, the good news of God is that Jesus has come and he has given us the gift of salvation. And I know that salvation word is weird. So let me tell you what that means. That word salvation means a, a restoration of a relationship with God. And we often try to take that gift that God has given us and we try to dress it up um, with like uh, spirituality, you know, going to church. We try to take that gift and dress it up. We try to accessorize it. We try to make it better with good works, doing great things, trying to live morally, lots of spiritual activity. But God's grace is perfect. It's a perfect gift. And here's the deal. 
it works all by itself. You can't dress it up. You can't accessorize God's grace. Now, for the past several weeks, we've been um, exploring the story of God as it's recorded in the Bible. We learned that in the beginning, God created. And in this creation that he has created, everything was good that he made. And we also learned that, that all of that goodness reflected how good God is himself. And we really have to grasp that very important truth that God is good and what he created was good. If we don't grasp that, then we will not be able to make sense of this story of God and what it means to our lives today. But then in all of that goodness that God created, something happened. Adam and Eve, his prized creation, they did not trust that God was totally good. And they did not trust that God had created them totally good. So they did the one thing that God told them not to do. And when they did that, you know what they were doing? They were trying to make God's gift better. But we cannot make perfect better. And when they did that, everything broke. But God continued to write his story, continued to be involved in his story. He did not run away from them. In fact, he made a promise. He made a promise from generation to generation to generation. He made a promise from men like Abraham and then also to Moses and again through the judges and the kings and the prophets all in the Old Testament. God promised that redemption was coming. God promised this, that he himself was going to fix what was broken. That was the promise. Now last week we told you that as the pages of the Old Testament end and we begin the New Testament, we see this promise that God has made. We see it revealed. That God would send, and this is pretty key, he would send himself to come in the form of a human. That's Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth, God himself, wrapped himself in the skin and bone and blood of his own creation. And as a baby, he subjected himself to the care of his creation, all for one purpose, to win back his creation from the destruction of sin. Now, Jesus grew, and about the age of 30, he began his public ministry. And his ministry can be summarized by what was stated in Luke chapter 8. Here it is. Listen to this. It says, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, there's good news. The good news is this, that Jesus came to fix what was broken. And when he did, he changed the direction of history forever. He came to change my and your human condition from slavery and exile to freedom and restoration. And all this human, Romans chapter 3, came to fix that brokenness. It includes me and it includes you. 
Romans chapter 3 reminds us of that. Listen to what it says. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all of that falling short, all of that sin, it all started way back in the garden with Adam and Eve when they chose to believe that God could not be trusted. When they chose to not follow his commands. At that very moment, sin entered the world. But it didn't stop there at the garden with Adam and Eve. Sin actually entered our very lives. Our DNA actually somehow in there has sin in it. The Bible says all of us have sinned. Me too. All of us fall short of how good God actually is. Now there's a tendency... If you're anything like me, there's a tendency to look around at other people around you and to, to feel pretty good about yourself in comparison to them. It's like, I'm not like that guy. We feel pretty good about ourselves. We think maybe, just maybe, I'm okay with God because I'm not as bad as that one. So I might be okay with God. But the issue is not about me being better than that person it's never the issue. The issue is this. I fall short of the goodness of God. It doesn't matter one bit if you are better than someone else. The problem is, it's not just that we've made mistakes. Here's the problem. We have missed God's standard. Do you know what his standard is? We must be perfect like God is perfect. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. They chose to pursue their own story. Their story apart from God's story. And we've chosen our own way over God's way ever since. Believing that I know what's best for me. I, I, I know what I need in my life. So I, it's up to me to go get it. And I do that instead of keeping God at the center of our, my life. And, and for you, for your life. And we replace God who wants to be in the center of our lives. And we put ourselves in the center of our lives. And our choices, which the Bible calls sin. They've separated us from him. And we have all sinned. We have all, because of that, the Bible says, been separated from God. And Romans chapter 5 explains the good news this way. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, and some translations say, while you were in the midst of sinning, that's me, God demonstrates his own love this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross was not a tragic end to a good man's life. Rather, it was the promise and the plan of God from the very beginning of creation, way back in the garden. See, God loves us tremendously. And his highest demonstration of his love for us is not simply an emotion uh, that he feels towards us. It's not simply uh, 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 
a, a good feeling that he has when he thinks about us. No, 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 no. His love for us was demonstrated in this sacrificial kind of love, a, a love in action. You see, when we were at our absolute worst, Jesus gave us his best. When we had nothing to give him, Jesus gave us everything. And in that, he won everything. And all of that, my friends, that's the good news. But the news gets even better. If we keep reading in the book of Romans, we find this in Romans chapter 6. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, that doesn't sound like good news, but here it comes. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we were destined to an eternal death because of our sin. But because of Jesus, Paul is saying, the entire direction of our lives can change. Now, Paul uses this word in, in Romans, and it, it was a very intentional word. You heard me highlight it. It's the word gift. And to help us understand this word gift from God here, Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, what I deserve, what you deserve, what we deserve is death. But God gave us life through Jesus. And the word we find in Ephesians and then throughout the rest of the Bible to describe this gift that God gives us, here's the word, grace. Grace is the gift that we don't deserve and, and we cannot earn. And this word grace is really difficult to define. It's a tough concept to understand. My Bible teachers, they, they try to tackle it. But this concept, I think, is possibly so hard for us to wrap our minds around because it goes against our broken logic and it goes against our sense of fairness and our sense of justice. A lot of times, I find myself wanting or expecting God to be fair. In fact, the times that I get most upset with God are the times that I look and I, and I think, God, you're being so unfair in some way. And the reality is that God, God isn't fair, at least not in the sense that we like to think of fairness. Rather, God is full of grace. And at its core, Grace is decidedly unfair because grace gives good things to people who don't deserve it. Here's a big thought. Grace is better understood when experienced than when explained. Let me say that again. Grace is better understood when experienced than when explained. In other words, it's found in a relationship, not a religion. It's easier to understand grace from a story more than it is to understand grace from like a church doctrine. So because it's easier to understand experience, it's easier to understand from a story. Let's think back at some of the stories that we've talked about as we've gone through this series so far. We find grace. Grace always initiates 
a relationship. In other words, grace always goes looking for what is lost. For instance, Adam and Eve in the garden, as soon as they sinned, they hide from God. And God goes into the garden and he says, where are you? Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, listen, I, I don't location. Where are you? Hiding? Their GPS location. I don't think God needed their location. Where are you hiding geographically? I think that God wanted Adam and Eve to know, hey, I'm here and I'm pursuing you. That was grace. Grace also shows up in the life of Abraham. Abraham was a, a 70-year-old unknown man. Hardly the kind of man that you would expect God to single out and use in some kind of big, huge, significant way. But yet God initiated a relationship with him and, and God made a promise to Abraham and it would change the course of Abraham's life and his family and change the course of history. That was grace. And God did it again in the life of Moses when he took Moses, who did not deserve to lead the children of Israel away from Egypt. God chose Moses out of grace. And those are just some of the stories that we've talked about and have had time to talk about. But there's so, so many others. The story of Judah and Rahab and Ruth and Daniel, Noah, David, even that guy named Jonah. Those are just a few of the people, but all of those stories demonstrate God's grace. And then Jesus shows up in the New Testament, God himself. And Jesus goes to men like Matthew, who was a hated tax collector, and the people who lived around him, even his family, they, they considered him a traitor. He was despised by the Israelites, his own people. But Jesus goes to this despised man and he invites him to be one of his disciples. That was grace. Jesus struck up a conversation with this woman at a well. This woman who had made some really horrible, bad life decisions. And all the other women in the area, they hated her. And Jesus took this hated woman, despised woman, and he made her his primary evangelist in Samaria. That was grace. You see, grace always initiates a relationship. It doesn't begin with a command. It begins with an invitation. So if grace is best understood as a story more than a church doctrine then we would have to say that this story of grace reaches its highest point as we continue this story of Jesus that we began last week. Three years after Jesus began his public ministry, so he's roughly 33 years old right now as I'm talking about this in this story. Jesus had been teaching and healing and pointing people toward the kingdom of God, and then one of his followers betrays him. You see, Jesus had been celebrating this festival, this feast called the Passover. He was with his disciples. This was a holiday feast that they always observed every year, and they would celebrate it. They had done it for century after century since the Israelites left uh, free from Egypt, and they were celebrating their freedom 
from slavery. That's what, that's what it was, that God had freed them from the slavery in Egypt. And as part of the celebration, because of what happened when God was freeing them, they, they sacrificed a lamb, the Israelites did, way back when they were in Egypt, and they took the blood and they would spread that blood over the doorpost of their homes. And that was the signal that signified this household, we are under the protection of God. And then God freed them from slavery. And, and they had this celebration every year since then. From that day forward, really, the people had to rely upon sacrifices as they had a sacrifice uh, before they left Egypt. In order to cover their sins, they had to sacrifice and kill these animals. And they looked to the priests to be a part of that, to represent the people to God. The priest would do that and, and handled all the sacrificing. But now, in this moment, Jesus is starting something new. Jesus is now saying, I'm the deliverer. And Jesus would become for us the perfect priest and the final, the eternal, perfect sacrifice to restore permanently our relationship between God and between man. So they were Jesus was celebrating that Passover with his disciples. And as it was coming to a close, one of his followers betrayed him. Soon after that, the soldiers would arrest Jesus and they would levy these false charges against him. And Jesus would be mocked and he would be whipped. He would be beaten until the flesh and the muscle was ripped away from his bone. They blindfolded him, they hit him, they spit on him, they pressed a crown of thorns down onto his head, they threw a purple robe over his beaten and bloody body, and then they forced him to carry a crossbeam to the place of public execution where they stripped him and they nailed him to the cross. And Jesus then was suspended between heaven and his creation here on earth. And you know what Jesus did? He actually asked God to forgive those people who were killing him. And in that moment too, Jesus promises a, a thief that's beside him hanging on another cross. He promises him, he ensures him that he would be in paradise with Jesus. And during that time, Jesus also ensures that his mother would be cared for by one of his disciples. And meanwhile... Most of the other disciples had fled and run off and they were hiding. But some of the women who were closest to Jesus, they stood nearby and they were watching and they were weeping and they were hurt. They watched the soldiers gamble for the garments of Jesus. And as Jesus was gasping for some of his last breath, he declared this, it is finished. Finished. It is done. Jesus Paid it all in full forever. The cross is the turning point for all of human history. And my friends, it's the turning point for our lives too, 2,000 years later. The cross was not an unfortunate end to a good man's life. It was, it was the promise. And it was the plan of God from the very beginning the cross is where we find change. Here's what the cross kind of means to us today. First, the cross redeems us. 
it deals with our sin issue. Second Corinthians, it puts it this way. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, think about that. We want God to be fair, yet his favor is graciously unfair because here's what that verse means. Here's what it means. We all have this notice of debt, and this is on our lives. We cannot get rid of it. We have it. We cannot be good enough to take this. can't act better and hurt. We cannot get rid of it. We can't do better. We can't act better and hope that, well, maybe it will make up for this. No, the problem is not what we have done. The problem is that we have this, and it's not going away. A notice of debt. Our sin has created a debt. It's a debt before God. There is no way we can pay it. And Jesus shows up. 2,000 years ago, and he takes that debt. Jesus takes that debt, and he takes it with him and nails it to the cross, paid in full. It is finished, paid in full. Jesus takes our debt And pays it on the cross. And in return, he does give us something. He gives us his righteousness. He takes our debt and he deals with it on the cross. And he makes this deal with us. You give me your debt, I'll give you my righteousness. That is unfair to Jesus. That is unfair to God. That is grace. At the cross, we trade our sin, which he takes, and he gives us his righteousness. Secondly, the cross frees us. Jesus declared, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The cross frees us from sin. It frees us from this death, from our old ways of living. It frees us. Freedom was central to the mission of Jesus. Uh, He freed people from sickness, from demons, from slavery to wealth, from slavery to possessions, from hyper-spiritual leaders who were uh, heaping law upon law upon law upon the people. He freed them from all of that. When Jesus... Lord is on me because he publicly this is what he declared himself in Luke chapter 4 he said the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he's he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor Jesus said I was here I am here to proclaim freedom to give freedom and for us even today it is at the cross that we find we find for ourselves freedom to live the way that God intended us to live so the cross it redeems us it's at the cross where we're going to find freedom 
And finally, it's at the cross where we will be restored. Colossians 1 puts it this way. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. That means God became man in Jesus. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything and on, in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You see, God's plan all along, it was to restore his creation. And most importantly, it was to restore the relationship between us and God. And that includes you and me. He wanted to remove the barrier of sin so that we could be with him. From the cross, Jesus forgave us. From the cross, he invited us. From the cross, he will comfort us. And it's at the cross that we find the opportunity for a restored relationship with God. For those of you who have been with us from the beginning of this series, that relationship that we're talking about, the relationship that was severed, that was broken way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to try to make God's gift better, that relationship that was broken, Jesus now restores that very relationship. The covering that God offered Adam and Eve was temporary. And the covering that he offered the Israelites through all the sacrifices was temporary. But no longer is it temporary. You and I can not only have a relationship with God, we can have one that is personal and that is eternal. You see, the cross changes everything. The cross changes us from sinful people to righteous people. The cross changes us from enslaved and entrapped to free people. It changes us from people who are far away from God to people who have an intimate relationship with God. And how does all of that happen? One word. Grace. It is unmerited, extravagantly unfair, unbelievably illogical. It is a gift from God. You see, we don't really like that. We don't really like to think that grace is good enough. Maybe it's because we grew up understanding life according to the merit-based system. You know, the merit-based system. As a toddler, we learn if we go to the bathroom in the potty, we would get a goldfish cracker. It's a good system. We learned that if we... Um, acted nice, then Santa would bring us gifts at Christmas. We learned that if we behaved in the store, that mom would buy us something from the toy aisle, as long as it costs less than $1.99. We learned that if we were good at school, then maybe on the way home we could get some ice cream. And it doesn't stop when, when we got older. If we scored high enough on our ACTs, we would get more scholarship money. If we worked really hard at work, then we would get a higher paycheck. It's the merit-based system. And we have a hard time understanding salvation and grace because of that. 
instead of accepting this free gift, this free gift of Jesus and the cross, we try to find something that we can add to it. You know, something, something so that we can deserve it or earn it or at least so we can make up for the fact that we have to have it. So we try to add something so that we look a little bit more acceptable to God. We try to become righteous by doing some good things. We try to get free by following a list of rules and do's and don'ts. We try to restore our own relationship with God by doing some real religious things and going to church. We try to earn grace by doing good and avoiding bad. Yet we just read that Romans chapter 3 tells us that no matter what we do, no matter how good we are, we still fall short. You see, a merit-based system for earning God's favor would be a terrible idea. It would be bad news because we could never make up for it. We just think that we can make up for it. We can't. So a merit-based system would be bad news for us. Very, very bad news. That's why the good news of Jesus is that it is finished. Done. Paid. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. Because I have a debt that I had no way of pain. In the Old Testament, people had to make sacrifices to cover their sins. And they needed a priest to stand before them and God, between them and God, so that they could make things right for them. But because of Jesus, we don't need anything anything more to make ourselves right with God. And we don't need anyone to help us restore or relate to God. Jesus did what needed to be done. He was the sacrifice. And he is the one who stands now between us and God. He became the sacrifice for us. And he also became the priest to stand between us and God. You see, we tend to have this Jesus plus theology. It's always Jesus, but I need to add this to it. Jesus plus, I need to be really good. Jesus plus, I need to make better decisions. Jesus plus, I need to be kind to the people around me. Jesus plus, oh, I gave that money. That should help. Jesus plus, when I go home, I'm going to read my Bible. Jesus plus, oh yeah, by the way, my parents and grandparents were really strong believers. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things, with having generations of strong believers and reading your Bible and giving and being kind and doing good things. There's nothing wrong with those things, but we will never find a restored relationship with God through any of those things. The good news is this. Jesus alone can restore our relationship with God. Salvation is not about doing something to earn it. 
It's not about sacrificing enough in order to gain something. There is absolutely nothing that we can do. There's nothing else we can do. And you know what? Everyone's invited. And everyone gets the same invitation. A pastor gets the same invitation as the person who is struggling, currently struggling with an addiction to a drug. They get the same invitation. And everyone can meet the requirement only because of Jesus. The cross was the ultimate invitation. And guess what? My friends, Jesus is still inviting today. So what are you going to do about the cross? At the cross, Jesus showed us grace and he initiated a relationship with you and with me. Unmerited, yes, unfair for sure, illogical, but it's the gift of grace. It's the invitation to redemption, to my freedom and your freedom, to a relationship with God. You see, religion is spelled D-O, and it screams this, God, look what I did for you. Religion is all about what we do for God. But according to the good news of Jesus Christ, salvation is spelled D-O-N-E. And it shouts, look what Jesus did for you. Religion is about what we do for God. And, and listen, God doesn't need us to do anything for him. But the cross is all about what God has done for us, and we need everything that God has done for us. Maybe you've tried for so many times and years to get right with God. Maybe you've tried to do things to make yourself clean before God. Maybe you've wanted freedom, but the longer you've lived, the more you feel behind. Maybe you've wanted a relationship with God, but you feel so distant. And my encouragement to you this morning is this. Let grace enter your life. Remember, it's not about what for God. He has already done it for you. Who are you waiting on? What are you waiting to do? What are you waiting to experience? When Jesus says, it is finished, he meant it. You don't need anyone else. You don't need anything else. And you don't need to experience anything else. See, a Christian, a Christian is not a person who is better than other people. That's, that's not it at all. It doesn't mean that we are more moral or more spiritual or better. It doesn't mean that. It means this, 
that we are a people who have acknowledged that there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. There is no way that we can be good enough to save ourselves. Instead, we trust in the goodness of God. We stop trying to do good things to get God's attention. And we trust that Jesus has done everything for us that needs to be done. See, when we try to do things to win God's favor, it is exhausting. But trusting in Jesus, that's freeing. Doing good works to earn salvation is like an obligation, a heavy burden. But trusting in Jesus, that's just like an opportunity. In our lives, are we driven by guilt or by His grace? So I say all of that to ask you this. How will you let His cross affect your life? It was the turning point in God's story and for all of history. And it's going to be the turning point in your life as it has been in mine as well. And if you haven't done so before, if you, if you haven't, I'm just asking you today, will you make a decision today to let Jesus be your life? To tell Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you're enough to cover my sin. Enough for everything in my life that I lack. Jesus, you're enough. For everything that I have searched for, Jesus, you are enough. For everything that my heart has longed for, Jesus, you are enough. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If you have never expressed anything like this to God, then this prayer is possibly what your heart has been yearning to declare. And I'm going to encourage you to simply tell God, this prayer is my prayer to God. If you will just say that to God. You don't even have to say it out loud. If your heart is screaming that on the inside to God. God, what Harley is praying, that's my prayer too. That's me. Those words are my words. That's what my heart is saying right now. God, me too. And if that's what you're doing in your heart as I pray this prayer, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Before you put your connection card in the giving bucket, I'm going to ask you on the back side where it says my next step today. I'm going to ask you to check that box and let me know. The one that says for the first time I'm choosing to become a Christ follower. Will you let me know? And if your heart is praying this, then in your heart will you say, God, that's me too. Let's pray. Jesus, I have tried to earn your love and your forgiveness by trying harder, by promising to do better, by trying to make up, God, for what I have done wrong. Jesus, I have tried to deserve your gift, but the truth is this, I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. And you know, Jesus, you are well aware of that. That is why you left the perfection of heaven and put on this flesh and blood of your creation and you came here, you came here to die as a payment for my sin. You did that for me. 
And God, I could never make up for it. I could never make my sin go away. Thank you for offering me, God, that gift of an eternal relationship with you. And you offered me that gift when you died on the cross. And now my heart is saying to you, Jesus, you can have this life of mine. It is yours. I give it to you right now. You purchased my life with your blood as you died on the cross. And now I hand it over to you. Thank you, Jesus. I am eternally yours. Amen.